Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. I want us to go to Galatians chapter 2 beginning in verse 20 as that's going to be the primary text uh, that we're going to use as the foundation and we're going to circle back around uh, to it at the end of the message. But Paul to the church in Galatia, he speaks from personal experience. I felt quick and I hadn't had this thought in my heart for a while, but I felt quick and right before I came up to say that a person with an experience with God is greater than a person just with an explanation about God. However, a person with an an encounter with God and an explanation about God is greater than both. And um, But Paul, speaking of his personal encounter, his personal experience with the Lord and the gospel, but also how his personal experience is also a corporate experience for all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. So that being said, in Galatians 2 and verse 20, he says, I, Paul, known before as Saul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to teach primarily today, and the title of the message is Death to Life. Will you say that with me? Death to Life. Before I do, I'd like to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that name is above every name. It's greater than every demon. It's greater than every oppressive spirit. It's greater than every affliction of the enemy on the souls and people. I thank you that at the name of Jesus, demons are bound. Liberty is released to the captives. We ask, Holy Spirit, that this would be a place that your word could run swiftly in the lives of individuals here, that truly we would be a community that has passed from death to life. By the power of your spirit, may some people pass from death to life. May marriages pass from death to life. May people's future pass from death to life. And we'll give you the glory. I yield to you, Holy Spirit. Comfort and strengthen me that Christ would be manifested. We give him all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It's a quote of Dietrich Bonhoeffer who lived out the reality of a crucified life in a difficult time of the Nazi Germany. But it's true, not just in the day then, it's the true for the day we live in, that when Christ calls a man or a woman or a person, He bids him, He bids her to come and die. The gospel call is a call to come and die. In fact, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and their record of the days of Jesus' ministry on the earth, they clearly record that Jesus in His ministry, He called people to die. You see one of these in Mark, in Mark's gospel account in Mark 8 and verse 34. Mark says and records that when he, Jesus, had called the people to himself with his disciples also, 
He said to them, whoever desires to come after me. Another way to say that is, whoever desires to continually follow me. Let him or her deny themselves and take up his or her cross and follow me. See, the gospel call, the pure gospel call, the biblical gospel call is a call to die. The cross thus was a clear picture and symbol for such a call. As death was the result for every person who was ever put on a Roman cross. And it's this picture that God chose before the foundations of the earth as in the fullness of times He sent His Son, Jesus, to this earth. And He uses the picture of the cross and crucifixion to represent the call of God that's being heralded to every nation, to every person, to every tongue and tribe to come. But come and die. Oftentimes, those that have heeded the call, we began to get hung up of the different things that individual believers had to leave behind in accepting the call to die. Some in the call to die was applied practically in their life. They were rejected by their family. They had to walk away from a business or a career. They lost friends and began to be the the joke at parties, but I want to say today that there's no need to get hung up on what a person, what a believer has left behind in accepting the call of the cross to die. For the important point for you and I is that everyone who has responded correctly to the call to die had to, in principle, give up their life and will to deny themselves. That's the important point. It's not what we have to walk away from that we should get hung up on. The reality, the important point, is we all had to deny ourselves and walk away from a previous life, from previous things in order to respond correctly to the call to die. You know, when you think of the theme, when you think of the topic of denial, when you think of the theme of denying oneself, I find the denial of Peter at the time of Jesus' arrest to be insightful. You remember that Peter and the last intimate moments that Jesus had with his disciples, his apostles, in the last supper as Jesus began to give instruction to them and to tell them of what's about to take place with him, that scriptures would be fulfilled, that he would be rejected and he would be arrested and he would be scourged and he would be crucified and hung between heaven and earth. And all of a sudden, Peter speaks up. The gospel writer Matthew, he records this in Matthew 26 and verse 35. Peter said to him in this context, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. It's interesting. Peter says, no, Lord, I would never deny you. I would die with you. But maybe you, like I, have found out in your own life, just like we find out in Peter's, that the true reality is, if I do not deny me, I will never die with him. You remember? Because before the rooster crow, Peter denies the Lord three times. See, if you don't deny your life, if you don't surrender and walk away from who you were and what you were and what you were doing 
and receive the call to die, we deny Him. We deny Him when we're faced with temptation. We deny Him when we're faced with trials. See, the truth of the matter is if Chad doesn't deny Chad's right to make choices in life and seek my own ambition and desires, I'll never die with Him. Because the gospel call is a call to die. It's only those that respond correctly to that call to die then lives the life of never denying Him because their life is no longer their life. They accepted the call for their life to die. See, I want to look up front today at one main question. The question being, what kind of death are you and I called to? What kind of death are you and I called to? When you think about the gospel call as a call to die, we must ask and answer, what type of call is this? A call to what type of death? Obviously, it's not a call to physical death immediately. Or those that have responded to the call would no longer be here. We would instantly die and go as believers into the presence of the Lord as we've been talking about what happens one minute in previous weeks after physical death. But the call of the gospel is not just about physical death. As we saw before, Jesus says that physical death shouldn't be the greatest fear because there's actually another death that can take place after physical death. So what kind of death are you and I called to? The first thing about this type of death is it's death to your old life. It's death to your old life. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul in his clear presentation of the gospel of God says, As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not you. No, not me. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. From God's perspective, not culture's perspective, not parents around us who will normally always praise us or friends who will speak kind words and stand with us, but from God's perspective of humanity and because of sin, we've all turned aside. We've all turned to our own will, our own ways. We have rejected the lordship and the leadership of our creator on our life and therefore none of us are righteous and right standing with our creator on our own and we have all together become unprofitable to the plan and the purpose of God. This is the perspective of God. And that declaration is not just over my life, it's over all humanity. That all of humanity's life has become unprofitable for the kingdom of God, for the, the glory of God, for, for what God in the very beginning, why He created all of this, that we have become unprofitable regarding the things of God. So the call of the gospel is a call to the death of your old life, to a life that was unprofitable for what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will continue to do upon the earth. But the death we are called to is not just a death to our old way of living. It's also a call to a deeper kind of death. It's a call not just to the old way of living, it's also a call to die to the old you. It's a call to die to the person you were or today maybe the person you are. 
It's a call to the death, to the old you. We see this in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says, I want to remind you, I want to remind you of the call of the gospel and to who you were when that call reached you. He says in Ephesians 2 and 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons or daughters of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Here it is. And we were by nature the very core of our identity, the very source and spring of our life and existence. We were by nature what? Children of wrath, just as the others. Notice he says, we were by nature children of wrath. That is children of the rebellion. That's why here he he says, sons and daughters of disobedience. See, it's not just a call to the death of your old life. It's a call to the death of the old you because you can seek to die to your old way of living, but if you haven't died to the old person you were, you'll find yourself right back in that way of living. And that's what you find so much in America is people that have not understood the call of the gospel as a call to die. So they just seek to turn over a new leaf, turn over a new way of living, and they don't understand that the call to die is to the very depths of who they were. It's who we were that became unprofitable to God. He couldn't use a person whose very nature is in rebellion against God whose very nature and heart is, I'll do things my way. I'll do things my will. I'll seek to be my own God. So the call of the gospel is, Jesus says, come follow me. Follow me in death to the old ways, but follow me to the death of the old you, which means it's also a death and acceptance to your old will of why you live, what you were seeking, ambitions, the the purpose and the motivation of your life. It's a death to your old will. Paul says in Romans 6 and 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Most of you work. Hopefully all of you work. I just looked out, no youngins in here, but in some way, and those that work, you go to work and you get paid for your performance. You get paid for what you've performed. Scripture says that my life, my old life, your life, all, we're all included, that the wages, what we deserve, what we should receive and be paid is death. The wages, the payment for sin for living as if we're our own God, our own king. is sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, God's made a provision. The provision is, is the death of the innocent one, Jesus Christ. Provides the judgment and death for who you were. See, the old you deserve to die. When you think of death and life in Scripture, the simple way of understanding it is, is it's not just talking about physical death and physical life. Death means to be forever separated from your Creator who longs to have a relationship with you. Life is to know God and Jesus Christ to whom He sent. Death and life is a relational context, a relational issue in Scripture. 
We deserved death and separation. Why? Because by nature, we despised and resisted the one that had the right to rule and lead over our life, our Creator. His chosen King, Jesus Christ. But God so loved the world that He sent His Son. He sent His Son in the world not to condemn the world because we were already condemned. We were already by nature sons and daughters of disobedience. We were partaking in the rebellion of Lucifer who said, I will, I will, I will, I will live as my own king and God. And we followed in the principle of sin, which is lawlessness, to live as a law unto ourselves, and for each of us to do what is right in our own esteem, heart, and mind. Or the culture we come from. But the death of the innocent one, Jesus Christ, God's love demonstrated, Jesus hung between heaven and earth so that he that is in heaven could be reunited to us or who are on the earth. That we could come into right relationship with him. So Jesus took the judgment and the death that you deserve, that I deserve. For your sin, wages must be paid, and the payment was death. And Jesus stepped in and said, I'll pay. I'll pay that penalty. I'll pay the wages that we owe by dying our death. For God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So notice the gospel calls a call to death. It's not just a physical death. It's a, it's a death to your old will and your old way of living and the old you, the person you were or the person you still might be today. So the question is, one minute after we experience that type of death, a death to who we were, what happens one minute after we embrace the call? The call to follow Jesus and to die to what we were. What we were. See, it's a death to your old will. It's a death to the old you. It's a death to your old life. But listen, it's also a death to our previous relationship with the world. It's a death to a previous relationship with the world. In Galatians 6.14 it says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The call of death is a call that our relationship with the world changes. Uh, You can understand the world as the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. How do you summarize that? It means the call of the gospel is a call to die to just living for the temporary. But we get swept up into the eternal purpose of the Father, the eternal one. And the purpose of the eternal Son, and we fellowship and experience it through partnership and communion with the eternal Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. It's a death to our previous relationship to this world. In Romans 6.6, 6, Paul, talking about this death, and he says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, See, it's a death to self, it's a death to self 
will because how many of you know that we in deception believed that doing what we want was true freedom, but in actuality it brought slavery. He says the old you, the old man, the old person was crucified with Christ so that the body of sin would be done away, that we would no longer be slaves of sin. See, maybe you like me found out that we thought we could be our own king, but we found out when we lived as our own king, instead sin crowned us. See, maybe you have found out like me that we thought we could live for our own kingdom, our own name, our own fame, our own pursuits, our own glory. But instead we found out that when you live for your own kingdom, instead you become captive to Satan's kingdom. And this is why in the presentation of the gospel, in the call to come and die, there's a presentation that there's another king and there's another kingdom and the entrance into that is to die to you who is enslaved in a part of another kingdom. To die to you who, like Lucifer, is falling in a path of living as your own king. In Acts 8 and verse 12 in the early church, you see Philip begins to preach and to follow in obedience to what the Lord has commanded to go and to make this herald, to make this call to all nations, tribes, and tongues, the call to die, to no longer be in a position of being unprofitable to God, but come into a position of being profitable for the kingdom of God and for the work of God. And in Acts 8 and 12 it says, But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Notice Philip heralds that there's another kingdom. He's preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. And the person of Jesus Christ is the anointed king. Here's the amazing thing. This kingdom that is heralded, the invitation, and for people to respond to it does not come through control. It doesn't come through coercion, by force. You know how the call of the kingdom, how the call of the kingdom and the the king displayed that he can be trusted, that he is worthy of our surrender, he is worthy of us turning from our old life and our old way and our rebellion and the old person, is that he hung on the cross between heaven and earth for you and I. The king who owns it all, whose kingdom is here, he demonstrated his heart for you and I who was unprofitable by taking the death that we deserve, taking the the penalty that we deserve for the wages of our sin is death, that he took it and therefore it's his love and heart that he's trying to persuade us to accept the call to come and die. And it's only in accepting the call to die that you can ever truly know life and come into a relationship with your Creator who loves us and longs for us and doesn't want us to remain unprofitable. He wants us right in the middle of what He's doing on the earth today. He wants us right in His kingdom. He wants us on a kingdom assignment. He wants us anointed with the spirit of the king. He wants us filled with the character of the king. He wants us there. But there's got to be an acceptance of the call to die. Jesus, He would walk around and early in his ministry, and he would see people that was leaning in and responding to the work of God's Spirit in his life. And he would say, hey, Hunter, come follow me. He would look up and say, Caprice, come follow me. 
And that invitation was an invitation to die because as we saw in Mark 8.34, he says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. They understood it was an invitation. Death to the sinner they were. Death to the self that was the Lord and King in their life. And death to sin and lawlessness. But you know what else it's a, a death? You know what else this call to death is? It's a death to principle-focused living. Romans 7 and verse 4, Paul says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. This is a call to death, to principle-focused living. He said, listen, you died to the law. The law there, it's also a reference to the law of Moses. There were 613 principles in the law of Moses. And what Paul says is, no, 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 this call to die is to die from seeking to think that you can live this life pleasing to God, just focusing on do's and do nots. We died to that type of focus so that we could come into a relationship with the living Lord of the kingdom, Jesus Christ. That we have died to principle living so that we can come into relationship with a living person, Jesus Christ. From principles to a person, Christ the King. That now when I'm faced with a decision, I don't go to a principle of do or do not. I go to a person who is my King and who is my Lord. And I hear Him. And my focus now is not on outward standards of do's and do nots. It's uh, on a person. That God wants everything to flow out of a relational context with a living person. And this person who loved you and died for you, he's the king, he's the anointed one, he's the Christ. He's the one promised to set up the rule of God. You remember on the day of Pentecost, Peter that we mentioned before who denied the Lord three times. He then becomes filled with the Holy Spirit and he stands up under the, the strength and the stamina of God's Spirit, and he begins to look at people, and he begins to say, you're responsible for killing God's anointed king. Today, the same finger points at all of humanity that we are responsible for Jesus' death. He didn't die death because he ever sinned and deserved death. He died in love for you and I. We got to see that the cross of Jesus is God's declaration that all of us, all humanity has become unprofitable, but there still is a way in the mercy of God, by the grace of God, by the provision of God to pass from death to life. Anybody know about passing from death to life today? He says in Acts 2.36, Therefore let all the house of Israel, let all the Craig household, let all the Simmons household know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Because when you actually hear what was said, you were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. In that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Notice they ask a question. 
What shall I do to be saved? What shall we do? Here's the question you and I must ask and answer today. How do I accept the call to come and die? If the gospel call is a not just a call to live your own life and be your own king and decide what you're going to do with your life and just add Jesus to your life, add Jesus to what you've already built, just put Jesus in your pocket but go about living as if you're still Lord of your life. No, no, no. When you hear that the gospel's a call for you to die, then we need to ask, how do I accept the call to come and die? Notice what he says, repent. Repent. Simply put, repentance means just turn from living for I. Just turn from living for I. Turn from living as if you're your own king, your own creator. That there's no accountability for you. That you didn't give your life, create your life. Turn from living for I and then do what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in Christ's provision. That it is the only remedy for our sin. It is the only remedy for by nature what we were, children of wrath. It is God's only provision to come back to Him. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. That Jesus Christ alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Repent and believe. And this brings us to Galatians 2.20. Our main text where Paul says, I have been crucified, past tense, with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That when I accept the call to come and die through repentance and adherence and relational trust in the person whom God sent, Jesus Christ, who is the anointed King of God's kingdom, when I have accepted that call and that death has happened, What happens one minute after such a death? What happens one minute after such a death? Like where Paul says, I was crucified with Christ. The soul that killed Christians. The one who thought was doing good works for God. When Saul was crucified with Christ by repentance and faith, coming into relationship with the true king, what happened one minute after that death? What happened one minute after when Chad was crucified with Christ, when the Holy Spirit took the death of Jesus and applied it into my life because I heard the call that it's not just a call one day to go to heaven and pine the sky. It's about heaven getting inside on this earthen vessel and releasing the king and the culture of the kingdom here and now. Oh, one minute after that type of death, what happens? Why is it called good news? Why when those who believed and received the word, they receive it gladly? Because they understand that who they were no longer is. They understand that the guilty one, the one guilty of treason, the one guilty of trying to set up their own kingdom and live as their own king, that that person who they were died and was crucified with Christ. They understand that the person who deserved to die already received the sentence and the application of the death they deserved through faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, this is the good news that the death of the innocent one was the payment for what I owed in my rebellion against the true king. 
I want to finish telling you that one minute after such a death takes place in your life when you were crucified with Christ and you respond correctly to the call, the call to die, one minute after, I'm talking about tick, tick, 60 seconds, one minute after, listen, you're justified. Woo! Justified. Simply put, you maybe heard people tell you what is justified. It means that now it's just as if I've never sinned. Does anybody know the, the goodness of the gospel and the good news that though I used to do some wicked things and had a previous life of sin and being my own king, one minute after I was crucified with Christ, it was as if I'd never sinned before. My conscience was clean. The weight of guilt was broken off my life and I came into a relationship with God who's now my daddy and my father. Justified. All the sins you have committed Forgiven one minute after such a death. Max 13, 38, that's why they declared, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man Jesus has preached to you the forgiveness of sins. It don't matter how great the sins were. It don't matter if they were sins that culture despised, people around you despised, or if it was acceptable cultural sins. It's any sins, all sins that you committed before that death with Christ have been forgiven. Ephesians 1.7, Paul says, In Him, Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. We got any extreme couponers in the place today? A coupon is, is a piece of redemption. It's a redeemable coupon. What it means is the one who made the product you're buying has already chosen to purchase a part of that product backed. They have already decided to pay a certain amount of what that, that product costs. In Christ, we have redemption. God's already paid for all of our mishaps so that we could be bought and brought completely back to Him. Not just 30% of us, but wholly back to Him. Not just then 5% a child of God and then we grow and become 80%. A hundred percent a child of God. That who we were no longer exists. And not just do we have forgiveness for all the sins we previously committed, but watch this. We also have deliverance from all the curses stemming from those sins. That all the curses stemming from those sins are broken. That see, we thought when I just live life how I want, which is called sin, aimlessness, that that's true freedom. But we found when I sin, I actually become a slave to that sin. That a curse comes on my life. You know what a curse is? It means to be empowered for dysfunction. It's why people continue to dysfunctionally almost self-destruct their life, self-destruct their relationships, self-destruct because that's a curse on their life. The good news is, is a moment after you died with Christ, the curses stemming from your previous sins and past are broken off, off of your life. They don't have to dictate you. They don't have to dictate your responses. They don't have to dictate your future. They don't have to dictate your actions. There is now a freedom from the curses that empowered you before. Paul says in Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us, past tense, from the curse of the law. 
having become a curse for us. For everyone that hangs on a tree is cursed. He took the curse. He took the bondages on the cross so that we could be free. Verse 14, so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That where I was previously empowered to dysfunction and to failure and to constantly miss God's plan for my life, now I can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to succeed in the plan of God, to succeed in the will of God, to prosper in why God created me, that I don't have to expect to be a failure in my future because Christ broke the curses and now the blessing, the promise of God's Spirit empowers me for the glory of God. Someone say, I'm empowered now. Thank you, Jesus. It even gets better. Not just all the sins you've committed have been forgiven, but all the sins you have committed have been forgotten. God says, listen, what what happens when you're crucified with Christ, it is so powerful, it's so miraculous, it's so wonderful that I not just forgive your past, I forget your past because it has no influence and no uh, no power to dictate your future. I put it out of my mind. Hebrews 8 and verse 12, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Wow. No more guilt. No longer guilty of anything. Just as if I've never sinned, all my previous sins forgotten, all my previous sins forgiven, but it still gets better. Because then I'm not just declared to be innocent. I I mean, I'm not just innocent. God makes a public declaration that I am innocent. I'm declared righteous. I'm declared righteous. God publicly makes a declaration to the angel world, the demon world, the supernatural in our world. He declares us then to be in right standing with Him and right relationship with Him. God declares that we have come into a right relationship with Him. Why? Because you've come into a right relationship with His Son. You've surrendered to the true King. You remember the story Jesus tells? Most people call it the prodigal son. They're just going to get ready for baptism. I mean, I'm not preaching great, but I ain't preaching that bad where they're leaving. (laughs) But you remember, it's more than just the prodigal son. It's also about the father and about the other son. But there was a son who had been living life for I. He was living what he thought he was free, but he found himself enslaved in bondage. And the Bible says he came to himself. He changed his mind. He repented. And he goes back and he finds that the Father's arms are open wide to receive him and welcome him. It's the same today. Do you know what the Father does? The Father doesn't just justify and forgive him and forget. The Father makes a public declaration to the community and to the other family members and those that know him publicly declares him to be in right relationship with the Father despite his failures, despite his past, despite his sinful living, despite his wasteful years. And the Father throws a party which is a public declaration that this one, though has been lost and now is found, is in right relationship with me and my household. And that's what the Father... God does for us one minute after we 
have died with Christ, He declares us to be in right relationship with Him and right relationship with the people of God and the community of God. Romans 4 and verse 3, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted. It was declared for him. To him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace but as debt. But to him who does not work but believes on him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted, declared for righteousness. Just as David also describes this blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Declared in their account. In right standing with the Father because believed on the Son in right standing with the community. And here's where it even gets better. One minute after such a death, we are not just declared righteous, but then we are made righteous. See, here's the deal. What God declares... The Spirit then demonstrates. When God says, hey, this person, their past is forgiven. It's forgotten. They're now in right relationship with me and my son, the king, and my community called the church of God. Then God, by His Spirit, demonstrates and performs what He declares. That we're not just declared in right standing with Him. We're made in right standing with Him. That God changes us. That our very nature and our very heart is now created to live in relationship with Him and the king. Where where I used to kick against the king and try to be my own king, God makes me new where I want to surrender and obey the will of the king. That God does something deep on the inside of me. That when the death goes deep, God's life goes deep. This is what Ephesians 4.24 says. And that now you put on the new man. Now you put on display, you're part of a new humanity. You're part of the new creation of God. You're now a new person in Christ. And how was this new humanity, the new people of God, the new you created? Created according to God. According is the opposite of discord. It means before we had discord in our relationship with our Creator. We constantly rebelled. We constantly was kicking against the goads. We were constantly saying, no, my way. I want it my way. Now the discord's been removed, and now I am created in accordance with the nature of God, meaning I long to obey God at the core of who I am. He says you were created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Not a Pharisee outward, you know, try to change where you go and what you do, but inwardly still long to be your own king. No, no, no. Listen, true righteousness is an inner righteousness. It's an inner holiness. This is what the Bible calls regeneration. One minute after you are crucified with Christ, you are regenerated. It's where we get the word gene. You know why my children look like Michelle and I and some of them act like us in ways? It's because they got the genes from us. And the Bible says one minute after you're crucified with Christ, you are recreated and you are regened, meaning your future, your future works, your future habits, the future things coming out of your mouth, the things that you're going to display are going to look like your father and your king now. Regened. Titus 3, 4 says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, 
Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. He saved us from our sin. He saved us from our nature of sin. He saved us from the penalty of sin. He saved us from ourself. He saved us how? Through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. That the true hand of God goes where the hand of man can never go. The true hand of God can go where no counselor's hand could ever go. That the hand of God can go to the very root of the problem. That's why Jesus said, either you make the tree good or you make it evil. It's about what are we rooted in. And for the one, one minute after they die with Christ, they are rooted in Christ and they're a partaker of this nature that longs to do God's will. Hallelujah. You're not just regenerated. You're what now the Bible calls a new creation. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, male or female, Greek or Gentile, Cobb County, Hall County, any county, whatever, doesn't matter. If anyone be in Christ, he or she's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, we know he's not talking about your body. Now, one day you'll get a new body to become new. So you don't have to spend all your money now trying to get a new body. God's going to free of His grace, give it to you. When Jesus returns, you'll get a glorified body. Now, if you don't take care of it some ways, you're going to go see the Lord of glory a lot quicker. <laughs> I don't want you to take that option either. But if anyone in Christ is a new creation, old things have passed away. The person you used to be, the one who was by nature a son and daughter of disobedience, taking part in the rebellion of Lucifer against the one true king and the one true God, that person no longer exists. You're a new person. See, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then He created man and woman and fit them in the earth. What He's doing now is, is He creates the new humanity, the new you, the new man and woman, and then He fits us for what He's not created yet, but would but will the new heaven and the new earth. Which ultimately means God cares more about you and me than He does what He set us in. Meaning God cares more about you than just the career and the assignment He's called you to. He longs for you first. But you're a new creation. Not only that, you're sanctified in spirit. Hebrews 10.10 says, By that will, the New Testament will, the will of the Father, declared through the death of Jesus. It's like if someone dies, you go read their will, which means what they want to do with what they own and belong. Well, God's will is revealed in the death of Jesus, and it's by that will we have all as believers been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. What it means is, is now in spirit, we're set apart for God's purpose. We're set apart for Him what sanctified means but it happens and starts in the spirit he who's joined to the Lord is one spirit with him 1 Corinthians 6 17 it still gets better then we become one minute after this death of being crucified with Christ, we become the temple of God. That God no longer lives in hands, buildings made by hands, but now He lives within His people. He lives in those that are sanctified in spirit. See, then when we're sanctified in spirit, we're set apart and Jesus can marry Himself to our spirit. Because the holy one can't be joined to the unholy. That's why he tells us his body, don't go marry someone that, that don't know Jesus. So once we are regenerated and made new, then guess what happens? We're joined to Jesus. We're sanctified, set apart for him and his glory and purpose. 
and we become the temple of God. Remember Galatians 2.20? I was crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but what? Christ lives in me. He lives in you. You now become His temple, His dwelling place, the house for God to live in and, and for Him to move and express His heart and His goodness for others. Become the temple of God. Boy, that'll change your bad self-image, won't it? Temple of God. That where I go, the great I am goes. That wherever I'm at, the eternal one's there because Christ lives on the inside of me. Not just that, but one minute after being crucified with Christ, you get a new foundation. You get a new foundation. And this foundation can, can make it through the trials and the tribulation and the cares of this life and circumstances. You know why? Because it's not a foundation made with hands of humans. It's not a foundation built upon your own strength. The very foundation of your life becomes Jesus Christ, the Word of God. A Word that is unshakable. That's why we're of a kingdom that's unshakable. A Word that is everlasting. That's why we live for eternity. That's why ultimately on the inside of us there is a greater awareness and consciousness of eternal than the temporal things because the eternal Christ is our foundation on the inside. Now God's intended life for humanity, God's intended life for you can be built upon that foundation. Because 1 Corinthians 3, 11 says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is why the apostles and those that went out early and started communities, that's why they knew they never had to control God's people. They just knew if they could get people to understand the call to die, that God's miraculous power would take care of the problem on the inside. And once you get Christ as the foundation on the inside, boy, there is something that's unshakable. That even in shakable seasons, and shakable times the unshakable one the anchor of our soul is within us then even when we drift for a season get pulled for a season there's a greater one on the inside of us than he that's in the world I wish someone would go ahead and praise God that the greater one's on the inside of you that there's an everlasting foundation that your life can be built upon your future built upon a new start also a new family a new family for some that don't mean a lot because you come from a pretty decent family but for many people around the world and some here today and some in America it means a lot because when they had to accept the call the call to die the acceptance of that call to die practically meant their family would reject them their family would disown them they would get taken out of the wheel and out of the inheritance. But the good news is, it's one minute after you die and you're crucified with Christ, you come into a new family. You got a new heavenly father. You got new brothers and sisters. You got a new inheritance that's reserved in glory for you. That where moth and, and robbers can't destroy or take. Got a new family. Those that live and do the will of God are our family. 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed of us, not that one day we'll be called a child of God if we make it, that we now are children of God. We have a family, family of God. And lastly, we have a new future. We have a new future. A new future. Ephesians 2 and 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, the gift of God given freely through Jesus Christ, not of works, least anyone should boast. Normally we stop there. But see, that's the new foundation. That's being justified. That's who we were, died, and now we're a new creation. But notice 
We also have more than that. We got a new future. It says in verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. One minute after you're crucified with Christ, the Father says you have a new future. It's a future of kingdom works. It's a future of being profitable for what God's doing on the earth. You're now a missionary of mercy. You're now an actual dwelling place and dispenser of hope. You are now the very presence of the king of the kingdom to those around us that we are blessed to be a blessing. You are now created for good works and you can expect that your future is going to have the oil of heaven dripping upon your work, dripping upon the work of your hands, dripping upon your life, that you have good works that God's created you for. That as believers, we don't have to fear what's in our future. We look forward. I can't wait to see how Christ, who this is His temple, is going to choose to use this temple, use my time, use my breath for His glory. I'm expecting to see some miracles take place because the one that says there is nothing impossible lives on the inside of me. It's a great miracle of people that you never thought would show interest begins to ask you questions about the one you have hope in. That's a miracle. And what do we do now? At one minute after this death, what do we do? We rejoice. We rejoice in the reality of what we've received and now we live a life of faith, relational trust. He's got good works for me. He's got a good future for me. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. We live in relational trust as the band comes. I want us to stand to our feet. I want us to begin to talk to God. I want us to begin to celebrate if you've already accepted the call, that you would rejoice that in accepting the death of the old you, you have passed into life, into a relationship with your Creator through faith in the only King Jesus Christ. That we would celebrate the life we have for that's what's about to take place is water baptism is an outward demonstration that one has passed from death to life. That they're now a part of the community called the Ecclesia of the Church of Jesus Christ. That they're part of the family. That they don't, they don't have to wait until they grow and know more and do more. They're just as much a child of God as the most mature believer here. Come on, let's worship Him. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.